Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Iowa City Matters, a podcast designed to provide listeners with information about community topics that impact you. I'm Sarah Walls, Assistant Transportation Planner for the City of Iowa City. This episode is about a particular interest of mine, both professionally and personally, bicycling. We're going to look at the role that bicycling plays in our community, the different resources available to riders, and recent and future improvements that will help make biking more accessible to all people living in Iowa City. Let's begin by introducing you to the panel of experts who will be leading this discussion. First up is Ann Duggan. Ann worked as a science writer and educator at the University of Iowa until she retired about five years ago to focus on bicycle advocacy. Ann is an active member of the Iowa City Bike Library Board of Directors. She's also the outgoing chair of Think Bicycles and, in that role, also served as a representative to the metro area's Regional Trails and Bicycling Committee. Ann, can you share a favorite biking memory with us? Well, I have a lot of favorite memories because every time I leave my driveway, I have a smile on my face. But if I had to pick one, I would have to say that I was doing a bike tour down the Pacific Coast. And uh, we were camping at this state park, the Redwood State Park, and they had a long descent into the park itself. And one could go pretty fast. There wasn't a lot of traffic. It's a state park. But there were so many wonderful trees, and there were all these gigantic, magnificent redwood trees that I just slowed down to six miles an hour and sort of kept my hands on the brakes lightly so I could look at all these trees and enjoy them and feel just the ambiance. And that's something you just don't feel when you're in a car. I really felt blessed to be involved with that. Wow, that's a good one. Jason Havel is a city engineer where, among other things, he works to implement the bicycle facilities onto our existing streets as well as new road designs. Jason joined the city of Iowa City in 2009 and is an active member of the American Public Works Association. Jason, can you tell us about a memorable biking experience of yours? Yeah, I think for me, it's not so much about myself, but just uh, having the opportunity to watch my two daughters learn to bike, I think was a pretty special experience. They went about it very different ways. My oldest was more along the lines of just keep trying, just didn't quite get it, but just kept trying, and and finally one day she got it. My youngest, uh, you know, refused to, to get on a bike for the longest time, and then one day gave it a try, and she was up pretty much the first time. So just to be able to see that excitement, that you know, the hesitation, but then kind of see that transition into that pride and, and just the, the excitement for bicycling, it was pretty special and, and certainly something that we can share moving forward. Great. Kent Ralston is a transportation planner for the city with more than 13 years of bicycle and pedestrian planning in the community. Kent is also an avid recreational bicyclist and enjoys mountain biking in his free time. Same question, Kent. Can you share a fond cycling memory or perhaps an adventurous one with us? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. So like Jason, I think uh, I've actually got a few here, but my one is, of course, watching my three children learn to ride their bikes. Very special time for me. For me personally, I think back to when I started riding a lot, maybe around middle school, and it was riding Ragbri with my family. I think by the time I was 16, I'd ridden across the state four or five times at that point, always camping with your two older brothers and your father in a tent in the end of July is always an experience in Iowa. (laughs) So that's something I will never forget. Great. Audrey Wiedemeyer is the executive director at the Iowa City Bike Library and also serves on the Iowa City Bicycle Advisory Committee. She's been riding her whole life and wrenching, think tools, since 2011. She recently joined the Johnson County Flyers racing team and loves competitive bicycling. Audrey, do you have a standout cycling memory you can share with us? 
most of the places I've lived, I've commuted by bike. And one of my favorite commutes is when I lived in Truckee, California. It was about seven miles to my work, and it was three miles of gravel road, a few miles of single track, and then some bike trail to kind of cool off my, my ride before I got to work. That was a lot of fun. It was a great way to get to work. And I see that kind of happening in Iowa City, which is exciting with the Coralville trails and the different trail systems and then the on-street bike infrastructure as well. So kind of like making it whatever kind of ride you want it to be when you do commute. I think back to those days when I could do that to the fullest extent. (laughs) That's pretty great. Yeah. Anne and Audrey, I want to start with you as bicycle advocates. Can you both tell us about the organizations you work with and the role they play in improving and encouraging bicycling in Iowa City? Well, Think Bicycles actually started as a group by a number of volunteers at the bike library in order to advocate countywide for bicycle and pedestrian accommodations. I haven't been involved the whole time, but it's been fun. One of the first projects they did was to hire a consultant to look at one of the tougher crossings we have, which is the Burlington Street Bridge that connects uh, east and west sides of town, the campus and the west side. And although not all of their recommendations were instituted, some were, and it, it was an impressive start, I think, for that group. Since then, we're involved with the Bike Month and other activities. We also just started last summer the Overdue Ride, which is a family-friendly, no-rider-left-behind Thursday night ride that started at the Bike Library. At the Bike Library, we have almost 10 or 11 now programs that encourage people to ride. Our most notable one is our checkout system, so people can check out a bike for six months. Then they can choose to return it or to buy it and just forfeit their deposit. It goes beyond just getting a bike and encouraging people to ride in the education that we provide people. So we have a program called Rent-A-Bench, and I think a lot of people don't know that it is a community bike shop, which means we have benches available for people to work on their own bikes and to learn how to use their bikes. So when we're teaching people at Rent-A-Bench how to use their bikes properly and educating people on the basic mechanics and the basic care and repair that you can do, that anybody can do, um, regardless of background in biking, a lot of that translates into more confident riding. And I think the more confident people are in using their machine, the more they're going to ride and the more fun they're going to have riding and the better experiences they're going to have riding. So I think that education component is a huge way we encourage people to ride more. Kent and Jason, you're coming at this from the planning and engineering side. Can you talk about the role your departments play in making Iowa City more bike-friendly and maybe touch on something that the public doesn't know or perhaps understands about your work? Well, I can talk about the engineering side of things. So obviously our our main contribution here is implementing these projects and actually constructing them, taking the the plans and, and going through the design and the actual construction of the facilities. Maybe something that the public isn't aware of or a lot of people aren't aware of is, you know, we look at these and all these products are really a, a piece of the puzzle. And so it's not only are we looking to implement bicycle facilities, but we're looking to have them incorporated into overall projects. You know, a lot of these are, are done as part of larger projects and there's some challenges that come along with that. And so it's, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to think that it's just paint and we can go out there and just do it quick, but we want to make sure we do it right. We want to make sure it fits in and that it's part of the larger plan. And so I think that's where it's important to have that master plan. It's important to to stick to that and, and build that so that we can kind of see this larger network happen. 
Um, obviously, construction, people get excited and it's good to see stuff going down. But there's some challenges with that as well. You know, obviously, weather is one that comes up quite a bit, especially this spring. Again, it's been really wet and it's been difficult to do not only the larger projects, but even striping as well. And I think the other thing, too, is just, you know, with all these projects, you know, being public, a public entity and as they're publicly bid, unfortunately, we don't necessarily get to pick who, who our contractors are, who we're working with to, to install these. And so sometimes there's some challenges with just actually getting it built. And so we work through that as best we can. But I assure people we want them done faster, too, and, and as quickly as possible. But it's a process, but we're getting there. From the transportation planning side, when I think of what I do day to day and my role in my department with respect to bike planning is that we solve problems large and small. Anything from making sure an intersection is safe uh, with respect to signage and pavement markings all the way to planning for larger separated trails and, and bike facilities, uh, which we eventually pass off to the engineering group and, and Jason to, to finalize. Things that the public might misunderstand about my job, I think uh, I would echo Jason's comments that it takes time to plan projects and engineer projects, but it also costs a lot. And that's something I think is a is sort of a misunderstanding with some of the bike projects we work on is the, the sheer cost and making sure that we've got the funding in place to, to implement those projects correctly. And one thing I would add to that as well is it's not just the initial cost, but it's the, the maintenance cost too. And making sure that when you build these, you're able to maintain them and care for them throughout their life. I want to take a moment to talk about the Iowa City Bicycle Master Plan. Kent, can you talk about what the plan is and how it's used by the city? So good question. The Bike Master Plan really provides a roadmap for implementing a cohesive network of bike facilities, whether that's on-street facilities, off-street facilities, as well as programs and policies, which we can touch on later. The Bike Master Plan took about 12 months to get through and was finally adopted in 2017 after much public input. The city uses the plan primarily to guide staff to make the necessary improvements that the public wants to see and stay on track in terms of timing and doing so. It also personally takes the guessing game out of what I'm supposed to prioritize in terms of bike and ped facilities, so it helps me out. I'd like to add, too, that as advocates, we were really excited that uh, the city hired Alta Planning and Design to do this. They're a really accomplished group. They have lots of experience, and I, I'm hoping that their experiences will help us continue to fulfill our plan. Audrey, you recently joined the Iowa City Bicycle Advisory Committee, which helps with the implementation of the plan. And Anne, you formerly served on the Metro-wide Bicycle and Trails Committee. Can you talk about how these committees work to improve bicycling? And feel free to touch on both things that you think are a success, as well as shortcomings or challenges that you think your committee faced. Well, I enjoyed being on the regional committee because I got to see all of the players who's in charge where of what projects. You know, it's one thing, a lot of people go straight to the mayor to complain about this or that. And the other thing, and hopefully it eventually filters down to the staff, but when you go to these meetings, you realize that Iowa City works with the planning department and the MPO, that Coralville's Parks and Rec Department is the person who's in charge of bicycle infrastructure. And so it was helpful to me as an advocate to be able to talk directly to the people who are, if not making the decisions, at least taking and trying to implement them. And you, Audrey? It brings people together that are not just in the city or the government sector. It brings together racers and, and moms who are trying to commute with kids. It brings together a little bit different group of people, and it gives us a space to talk about things beyond just infrastructure. For example, we talked last time about driver and bicyclist relationship. 
And where else are you going to talk about that other than at this, this kind of committee meeting? I will say that one thing I'd like to see is for us to continue to invite people from different groups, from b- different bicycling groups in our community to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can continue to increase the amount of diversity, people who are at the table, because I think we've benefited a lot thus far from it. I think that's a really important point, Audrey, that uh, bicyclists are not a monolithic, singly opinioned group, that they come from all walks of life. Sometimes, frankly, it's been hard to be an advocate because everybody's so busy and they actually would prefer to go on a bike ride rather than go to a meeting. So I say, okay, I go to the meeting so you don't have to. I mean, and that's cool because they will come when, they, when they're needed. But I think it's just important to realize that everyone has their own perspective, their own needs. Veteran cyclists are different from the moms starting out with their kids in the bike lanes, and uh, we all need to understand each other. I'd really like to see some high school students, <laughs> at least one great. at the table. Um, we've had a lot of high schoolers in the bike library oh, been great. just taking advantage of our rent-a-bench and our Women Trans Femme Night, and they can't volunteer at the bike library right now due to insurance reasons, but they're really interested in getting involved from what right. I've seen. We'll have to talk about that later, yeah. Audrey. We'd be interested. The city recently installed bike lanes on Clinton Street and Governor Street. If you haven't been out there riding them, please take to the road. These two were very different projects. So, Jason, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the projects and the different challenges you faced with each. Sure. Starting off with Clinton Street. So this was a project that originally started out as intersection improvements at the Clinton and Burlington intersection, looking at adding turn lanes, making some ADA Uh, American with Disabilities Act uh, curb ramp improvements, uh, also some signal improvements. Also, there was some water main that was installed with this project as well. It was expanded to include a four-lane to three-lane conversion on Clinton Street. So that's taking four travel lanes, turning it into three travel lanes, one lane in each direction, and then a center turn lane, and also adding bike lanes in each direction. That four-lane to three-lane conversion was done between Jefferson Street and Court Street. Bike lanes were also added the remainder of the corridor, so basically from Church Street down to Benton Street. I think the challenge is there. Certainly, I think the one at the forefront there is timing. It took a lot longer than we were hoping for to get that project done. Another big challenge with that one is just all the different users in the corridor. Transit was a big one for that corridor, especially in kind of that middle section. Uh, And just trying to make sure that it it works for everyone um, certainly was a significant challenge with that project. Turning to the Governor Street project, that one was a little bit different. Governor Street is a one-way street. Um, It's also a DOT route. So there was a lot of coordination with the DOT going from essentially two travel lanes to two travel lanes with a buffered bike lane. It was exciting to see that being our first buffered bike lane section. But I I think overall it went pretty well. The DOT, for the most part, was pretty receptive, which was nice. So there wasn't a whole lot of sales, I guess, that had to happen with that. I think they were more or less on board, just wanted to make sure that it kind of met their needs as well. Also with that one was the overlay, which I think helps. It's always nice when you can put a a new bicycle facility out there on new pavement. Um, I think that's better for everyone. Included a lot of curb ramp work as well on that one. Unfortunately, that one has a big hole in the middle of it right now. The DOT is finishing up their bridge replacement project. Hopefully that'll be wrapped up this fall and, and we'll have that entire corridor that will have that buffered bike lane. Yeah, I would also add that while Clinton Street, I think, was a great success, we've still got some challenges. One is to still deal with how deliveries are made downtown. We know there's some ongoing issues with that, and that's something that uh, city staff is working through and, and trying to keep the downtown business owners happy as well. 
Kent brings up a good point too. You know, these aren't projects where you know we construct them and then we're done. I mean, we're evaluating them, and so we certainly are open to feedback of things that work and don't work. Obviously, we want it to work for the community and the people that are using them. So we're open to that. And if there are issues, we would like to know that so that we can address them. Clinton Street was unique too, I think, in terms of when we think of share the road, Clinton Street is a road that's being shared by lots of pedestrian traffic, lots of, like you said, deliveries, bus traffic, lots of new people to town dropping off kids at college, go down Clinton Street. So it is a real challenge, just not the installation, but just the day-to-day operation of the street. Isn't it the first one in Iowa City set up like that, where you've got a full length of the street, you've got a lot of parking, you've got some diagonal parking... There's certainly some pieces of it that are unique yet in in the first in Iowa City. It will be ramped up as well once school's back in session, and so it'll have a whole new test then. But, yeah, it it turned out well, um, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Yeah, I think it's certainly unique. We've we've done some four to three lane conversions in the past. Probably most notable is by Southeast Junior High on First Avenue between Bradford and Highway 6. But as all of you have mentioned, there are certainly more challenges and certainly more modes of transportation uh, in the Clinton Street corridor that we, we need to deal with. And Audrey and Anne, I want to turn to you. I know on the city's end, we've heard from lots of bicyclists about their opinions of the new bike lanes, but you have unique opportunities to hear from bicyclists. So I'm wondering what you're hearing and your opinion as you've ridden. I bumped into Audrey out on one of the bike lanes one day. So your thoughts. Yeah, I was just finishing up a ride, coming back in on North Summit off of Prairie Duchene. If I'm going out of town on Governor, the new bike lane is phenomenal. It's super wide. It's got a nice buffered space. There's plenty of room for big groups of riders to be all within that space. I don't think that we have to be confined to that space, but it gives people a lot of room to ride. The Governor Street one is gorgeous because it's, as Jason said, it's got that new overlay and brand new spanking paint. I think it's so visible and that's great. Clinton Street is just a different setup and I have ridden bicycles in a lot of different countries and seen a lot of different accommodations. And anyway, I've gotten used to it and I like it now. I even led our overdue ride up there. We went all the way up Clinton Street and uh, turned right on Church Street so we could all ride together and that felt very comfortable. So it was nice. We even came up, um, one of the uh, university buildings on North Clinton had apparently had a meeting that just let out because we came up on three ladies in three different cars and they were all, whoa, that's a bike lane. They had, so they had to figure it out too, but we all got through. I'm, I'm happy. I think, it's, uh, I think it's great. And I do agree that once the students are back and you've got everybody and their mom and dad and the confusion and all that, it's going to be interesting. A test. A we test. call it a test. A test. Jason, what other bicycle facilities are coming in the next year or yet this season? So we have a number this year that we are, are finishing up projects that actually started last year, starting things off on Dodge Street. So we are working with the DOT to do a little bit more maintenance on Dodge Street, and that'll be the section between Summit and Burlington that will once it's all done, we'll include a, a bike lane as well, similar to what's on Governor. Um, so that's planned for, for later this year. There'll also be some more work that is being done on Riverside Drive near the Myrtle intersection, tying that into the Iowa River Trail. Also the bikeway on Myrtle Street, or Myrtle Avenue, sorry, will be done in conjunction with that project. We also have our Mormon Trek four-lane to three-lane conversion. That'll be the next big, I think, four-lane to three-lane conversion in Iowa City. And that one will go from essentially Melrose Avenue to Westside Drive. 
some other projects that are going on right now. We also have our Highway 1 trail. So that's a trail on the north side of Highway 1 between Sunset and Mormon Trek. So that'll basically connect or finish that section there, which I think will be a nice addition as well, fill in that gap. And then we will also be looking at adding bike lanes probably this fall, looking at continuing the bike lanes on Dodge and Governor to the south. So basically from Burlington down to Bowery. More products planned next year, but I think that's uh, a lot of what we'll see this year. Okay. And Jason, am I right? Um, we'll be getting bicycle boxes on Governor and we just re- We just <laughs> received approval for those. We had asked for those last year, late last year, and we had finally gotten approval for those. So we're looking at how to implement those, um, and so that's something we're still working on. All right. And I'm sure that'll be the subject of a bike shorts video. I would up. think so. Kent, with these future projects, do you see any uh, particular challenges or opportunities that you think the public should be aware of? And that could be motorists or bicycles. I don't think any of those projects that Jason had mentioned will be as difficult as Clinton Street in terms of just everyone sharing the space and getting used to the new format. I think the one thing that stands out to me is on the Dodge and Governor projects north of Bowery and south of Burlington. Those bike lanes will require the removal of on-street parking, which will certainly create some heartburn for some folks possibly the equivalent of about 40 stalls on Dodge and about 40 stalls on Governor. So we'll see how that goes. I think the biggest challenge with all of these projects is really just patience on behalf of the public. And that's whether it's the motoring public, the biking public, pedestrians, and just making sure we're all understanding of each other's needs and and sharing the space appropriately. All right. That seems an appropriate transition to ask. We like to think of ourselves as a bike-friendly community, but we also recognize that we're far from perfect. What are some changes that could be made, and any of you can respond to this, that you think would better support bicycling? To add to the transition and these tests that we're doing with the Bicycle Master Plan, these are big tests, and they cost a lot of money, and we do need to be patient with them, and there are some changes that can be made in the future. When we test things out at the bike library, they're on such a smaller scale, but we still run into issues. Like, for example, last year we launched two new programs to get different people interested in biking beyond what was, you know, the normal clients of the bike library. And that was Pedals for People, which did in in Spanish for adults. It's community bike school for adults. And then Bike Club, which is for youth. And not everything went the way we wanted it to or thought it would. We learned a lot And we're doing those programs again this year, and we're making a ton of changes. Um, And we had to wait a whole year to do that, but that's okay. I think the patience thing is great. I would like to see us putting more resources into programs that are a little bit more human infrastructure focused so that we can keep making those like little tweaks to the programs that help get different kinds of people riding They don't cost as much as the infrastructure on the streets and stuff to implement, but they do make big, big changes. And one of your programs that you've run that seems like it's a big success and is on the cover of the Metro, the new Metro Trails map is the We Ride program? Yes, Women Empowerment Ride for girls ages 8 to 14. So the bike library partners with neighborhood centers of Johnson County to implement youth bike initiatives. So we have Bike Club, which is for kids in elementary school. It's happening this summer at the various elementary schools and also at the neighborhood centers at Pheasant Ridge and at Broadway. 
We get to be with the kids for three hours every morning for four days, which is huge. That's how much time you need with kids if you want to teach them how to ride a bike and ride a bike safely. And then We Ride is is basically just bike club, but it's for young women. We Ride to School is a women-sponsored ride that we do when school's in session. So we'll meet at neighborhood centers, and the girls will all lead the bike ride to school, but any kid with a helmet and a safe bike is welcome to join us. The first couple times we did it, some of the boys were a little disgruntled that that there were young women leading the ride, but as we did it, you know, more and more, they were just super happy to be there and would stand up at the beginning of the ride and say, all right, everybody, this is Women Empowerment Ride. (laughs) Girls are leading the ride, boys in the back. (laughs) And then in the summer, we'll have rides together and have, you know, mechanics training and bike wash and just just different clinics just just for women, for the young women. But I think, like, having women lead something and then have having those young men be involved in it too is really cool great how about you Anne? well just to add a little bit more about the bike library programs is uh audrey is actually our second paid uh, executive director our first one cody gieselman was the former owner of 30th century bike and it has been so awesome to have women running our programs it has made all the difference the Tuesday night Women Trans Femme Night is for anyone who identifies as female, and it is just a hopping place. Every Tuesday night, I walk out of there after I volunteer, just exhausted but happy. And I want to thank Audrey for her hard work with all of that. Now, to get on to bike-friendly community, I think that one of the things I'm happy that the city is also doing is a lot of these, for instance, the four- to three-lane conversions, because I think, frankly, that cars are a problem and statistically, they're getting to be a bigger problem. I was just reading that there were 36,000 deaths in the U.S. Uh, from car crashes. And while that number has gone down a little bit, the number of uh, cyclists and pedestrians who've been killed by cars has increased. And that just concerns me. So I think a four to three lane conversion is a relatively simple not intrusive way to make people drive in a more civilized way. Because frankly, if they're not going to drive in a more civilized way, they're going to have to be stopped (laughs) or slowed down at least. I'm very concerned about, I am constantly concerned about distracted drivers. I have seen people do things in cars that are just weird. Makeup, flossing your teeth, turning your head to talk to the people in the back. And that is independent of what they do on the telephones, looking at their screens. So I'm, I'm just glad that we're working also, in, in addition to bicycle accommodations and pedestrian accommodations, that we're working to figure out ways to make drivers be more safe. Well, that brings us to my next question. Not everyone in our community is familiar with how to share the road with bicyclists. On the city's end, we're trying to provide some education through our bike shorts videos, which are brief bicycle education videos that we share mainly on social media. And we're also starting an educational program called People Friendly Driving. It's something that started in our transit department, training the bus drivers to recognize the new bike facilities and to understand bicyclist behavior and how bicyclists use the road. So for anyone just getting started, safety is a big concern. What other things could we be doing to improve the relations between motorists and bicyclists and pedestrians and make everyone more comfortable sharing our streets? Any thoughts that any of you have? 
one of the first things is just to maybe change how we look at bicycles. I, I think one thing is getting to where people see bicyclists as a valid mode of transportation, not just recreation, but actually, you know, how people commute, how people are getting to shopping, whatever that is. I think that's a, a change in mindset that is important and obviously would help things a lot. I, I think, you know, we get complaints from time to time. We have bicycles on the road or you're doing this stuff for bicyclists and, you know, they don't pay taxes or whatever the arguments are. But but I think clearly there's a, a number of people that don't see bicycles as a valid mode of transportation. And I think that's something that if we can change that, I think that would go a long way towards understanding that we all need to work together. And I, I think it, it goes both ways. I mean, I, I think there's certainly drivers need to understand that bicycles are allowed to be there and, and there's nothing wrong with them being on the road or, or in a bike lane or wherever they would be. But it's also, I think, bicyclists being respectful, pedestrians being respectful. I mean, everybody being respectful to one another and understanding that we have to share this space. We have this limited amount of space. We need to be sharing it and, you know, that'll be better for everybody. I would like to see a simple public service announcement kind of poster that reflects what Jason just said. It would be neat to hire an artist to come up with a design where there's a car and a bicyclist next to each other and they're doing some kind of love thing <laughs> and we hire a local printer. You know, they're holding hands. I've seen some that other communities have done. Just, you know, some really unique, simple designs that convey that message that you're talking about in art mm -hmm. and hire some local printer to do 20,000 prints or something and then each business could have it up in their window mm -hmm. or somehow we just need to convey this message in some sort of visual form that's off of social media too sometimes I love the bike shorts by the way like that's that's great but something that we can see you know in every window that's just funky and fun and conveys that message that we want to send to both cyclists and cars. I was riding around downtown once and was looking at the universities, those hanging posters they do, and they were, they were highlighting some of their faculty and staff. And I thought, okay, if we did them about bicyclists, it would be, first of all, it would follow, the headline would be, can you see me now? Mm -hmm. And it would be, Anne is a widow who raised three kids and worked for the university for 25 years. She loves to ride her bike. It would just be beyond the spandex that people think... I mean, I own spandex. I'll wear it sometimes. But most of the time, I'm just riding around in my clothes like a human being. So if we could bridge that gap between all of us and realize that uh, we're all the same under the skin. And I do have one more point that I spent a winter in Guadalajara, Mexico. And it's a large, teeming city. But they have tremendous bike infrastructure and a very large bike share. And we rode bike shares the whole nine weeks we were there. And I said to somebody once, you know... I've been riding around these neighborhoods and there's lots of traffic, but no one has honked at me. No one has yelled. I haven't learned any new vulgarities <laughs> in Spanish. What's going on? And he said, well, you know, when someone gets behind the wheel of a car here, we just know we're going to get delayed by something. I said, well, you would never find an American driver who would think that. <laughs> For me, I think in addition to all the good programs and, and work that the city is working on, as well as uh, the groups that Audrey and, and Anne head up, I think is just taking time. And again, uh, I'd mentioned patience earlier. 
I think for the better part of about 15 or 20 years, the city's done a really good job working on our off-street network and our dedicated trails and probably have one of the better off-street networks uh, in the Midwest, I would argue. But really, just in about the last five or so years, we've started to look inward and really start to put uh, facilities on street. And I think with all these great programs that are occurring, simply taking time and allowing all the different modes to adjust to those are going to be really important. As you start to see more of these connections connected and you have these longer stretches of on-street facilities or off-street facilities, I think it will help too. There's more areas, they'll become more frequent, people will see them more, I think will help to advance those as well. I'm going to just recommend a bike bell because I find that especially riding down to like Terry Trueblood where you're riding by so many pedestrians, a bike bell is, my husband made fun of me at first for having a bike bell, but when he saw how much I use it. And then just downtown on the Clinton Street bike lanes, I was mentioning to Ann earlier, there was a guy in a truck and he was about to pull out and I just dinged my bell. And I don't know, there's something about that sound that I don't know if it's like Tinker Bell or what it is, but it's, it's a lot easier than saying, hey, you know, it's more pleasant. People feel rewarded, I think, by a ringing of a bell. Yeah, there are all different kinds of bells, yeah. too. You can and then I thanked him for not pulling bell, out. Or you can get a little ding, ding, ding. Yep. And it's very expressive, too. I've, I have rung it in anger. And you know, I sometimes... And just warning happiness. And sometimes in a car, I wish I had a bell. You know, like when you're telling somebody to go at a light, you know, you don't want to be, like, mean. You just <laughs> want to say, it's green now. <laughs> So anyway, we'll go on to our next question. I'd like to have each of you share an accomplishment. It could be a facility or a program or policy that you're particularly proud of. Can we start with Audrey? The two programs that I'm most proud of, we've already talked about, are the Women Empowerment Ride and our Women Trans Femme Night at the Bike Library. We're just seeing a lot more diversity in our programs and in the people utilizing our programs at the Bike Library. And hopefully we can continue that and a lot of that is going to translate into a lot more diversity in the in the, the volunteers that are implementing the programs in the future, who's leading our programs, and who is coming up with the curriculums for our programs. Yeah, those are the two I'm most proud of. Well, I love being associated with the bike library. It's kind of amazing for someone like me who didn't know how to fix anything on a bike to being able to start to fix things and teach people how to fix things. I'm pretty proud of how Think Bicycles has turned what is traditionally Bike to Work Week in May into Bike Month, where we have activities that range from rides to meals to lectures to whatever programs people want to put on. I think it's a really good reflection of the vitality of our community. For me, I think it would be the Metro Area Bike Master Plan that was completed in 2009. Being a part of the Metropolitan Planning Organization and working through that was really enjoyable. And I think it sort of started the shift in sort of our off-street network priority to sort of our on-street network priority. And certainly the Iowa City Bike Master Plan was also a joy to work with Alta Planning and Design on. And, and we'll uh, make sure we're heading in the right direction in the future. I don't know that I have a specific project. I think the Highway 1 Trail, as well as Governor Street Bike Lanes, I think for me are are what I'm most excited about, and that's making those connections and and having these longer stretches of on-street or off-street bike facilities. I think just seeing that plan start to lead to bigger pieces and and more connectivity, I think, will be a good thing, and just looking forward to, to continuing that. All right, finally, I'd like to end by asking each of you how you would measure success as a bike-friendly community. What, will, what are you really looking for as sort of the yardstick for we're really doing it? Like, it's, it's, we are a bike-friendly community. 
I would say that everybody knows how to shift their bike properly would be a, a really good measure of success. And then the second one would be if all moms were comfortable riding with their children wherever it is that they needed to go. And I would add that if women of a certain vintage were comfortable riding, it would be a big accomplishment for me. For me, I think it's just getting the number of bicyclists increased, whoever that might be, and making sure they can ride safely around the community. And being a, a staff member of Iowa City, I can gauge, I think, how well we're doing by the number of complaints we receive or the number of accolades we receive. So I think I can gauge that pretty well. I would probably echo what Kent had said. I think the number of people riding, whether it's commuting or recreation, I think just people getting out and using the facilities. I think the the number of miles of facilities we have is, is good, but I think it's making them useful. And again, seeing people actually using them will, I think, will help for future projects as well. I want to thank you all for coming and being part of this today and for keeping things rolling with the Bike Master Plan. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bicycling is certainly an important part of Iowa City, and we hope to see the bicycling community continue to grow. I'd like to thank our panelists, as well as the support we receive from our many community partners. Those interested in learning more about bicycling can visit our website at icgov.org slash icbikeplan. There you can find the Bicycle Master Plan, as well as our video series, Bike Shorts. Also, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out our past episodes. You can learn about the city's historic preservation efforts or how to navigate the city's transit system. You can find Iowa City Matters on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on our website at icgov.org slash iowacitymatters. We appreciate your support for this program and hope you'll continue to listen, learn, and engage. Thanks, Iowa City.